You're listening to Crossfade, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm Matt. I'm your host. You've heard me before. You've also heard Jason Daphnis before. Hey, Jason. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, man. Yeah, we're uh, it's a special episode, you know, uh, kind of a, a somber occasion. Uh, you know, uh, recently, uh, uh, Mimi Parker of Lowe passed away of ovarian cancer. Um, if you're not familiar with Lowe, uh, they were a very long running band based out of Duluth, Minnesota. Um, they kind of were, I guess, early on associated with what was called the kind of slow core, uh, genre, um, which, you know, I don't know if they considered themselves part of that, but people did. Um, anyway, they've been a band since 1993. Um, they recently put out an album last year that was really acclaimed called Hey What and uh, a couple of years before that called Double Negative. Uh, I'm a, I've been a huge fan of Lowe for a long time. Um, they're kind of a, they were a, a special band to me. And I think a lot of people, I think there was sort of a, an emotional connection that I think, I, th- I think, and I hope you'll hear in some of the stuff we're going to play. Um, it was really tough to kind of try to distill uh, Lowe's long career that took a lot of different um, musical paths um, into like 10 or 11 songs. And obviously I wanted to kind of focus on uh, songs that, that featured um, Mimi's vocals more. Um, so this isn't by any means, I don't think this is a, a, you know, comprehensive. They have so many albums. I don't think they ever released a bad album. Hmm. So anywhere you want to jump in, I think is, is a good place to jump in. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, as you'll hear, she had, I think one of the most incredible voices ever in the history of music to me. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we just kind of wanted to, to pay tribute and hopefully introduce some people. If you haven't heard the music of low, uh, to their music and, and sort of celebrate her life and work. Um, mm-hmm. and in addition to Alan Sparhawk, her husband, uh, who was also in the band with her and, and, and many other people, like Zach Sally, the original bass player, Matt Livingston, Steve Carrington, uh, who played bass in low at different points as well. Um, Jason, I know you weren't super familiar with low. I'd imagine you might've heard a track here and there, but, um, I, I actually think I might've been like totally from zero, uh, starting oh, with wow, this project. Okay. Yeah. Because it was one of those groups that when moving to Minnesota, I had heard of is like, you know, when I just Googled Minnesota bands, um, the, the princes of the world, the replacements of the world, even some more like recently formed groups and artists sort of took the spotlight from, uh, you know, more of the legacy groups, um, like low. Uh, and I just never found myself, I, I don't know. I, I feel a little bit ashamed now to like say that I never really did dig in. Um, I don't know that I ever purposely listened to a song. If I ever heard any, it would have been in passing. Um, but I definitely see why, like they are one of those groups that's stayed around so long. Just these 10 or 11 songs that you've pulled are just such a range of music, a range of like sound, um, but yet a consistency and quality. I've, I was really very pleasantly surprised. It's unfortunate. I think that, uh, it took, you know, a tragic event, like the lead singer and drummers passing for me to like dig in, but you know, what, uh, when, when, if not now. And, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really happy to be able to get to. Uh, discover it, I guess, after many repeated, I mean, one of the things that, um, that I noticed about low was like how many times we talked about them on crossfade, either like you always mentioned them and spoke of them very highly. Um, but it was always like, Jason, you should listen, or we should talk about them on this show sometime. Actually, it was just the last episode, I believe Literally, with Natalie Marlin. I, I forget exactly how they came up, but even Natalie was like, yeah, you know, all timer type band. And, uh, and you know, just the increasing number of voices that were telling me to listen to low and check them out. Um, that, you know, 
I guess the levy is broken. And now I'm very interested in digging further beyond what we, you know, I had time to listen to these 10 songs, but I'm, I'm planning to go back through their discography and give it all a good listen. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, you know, it was pretty telling, I think, just the tributes that came in from people that I think were much more famous than Lowe mm. uh, and just the variety of people, um, you know, saw everyone from, you know, Carrie Brownstein from Sleater Kenny, Jeff Barrow from Portishead. Uh, Steve Albini, who the famous producer, and he'd done some of their great, great albums with them. But, uh, you know, like Robert Plant from Led Zeppelin, who covered two low songs a few years ago, oh, stopped wow. his show to, you know, do a monkey, I believe, hmm. uh, the song that we'll, we'll hear later. Um, even like LP from Run the Jewels. So, you know, it, it's just, they touched a lot of different people. I mean, I think that, you know, when Robert Plant of Led Zeppelin, like, you know, stops his show to talk about you and do your song, you know, that's, uh, mm-hmm. There aren't many bigger, you know, old school rock stars than that yeah. left in the world. And, you know, somebody like LP from Run the Jewels, you know, who you'd never guess. Um, Chrissy Hind of the Pretenders, I saw. Um, so they made an impact with people. And I think, it, you know, as you'll hear, it's, it's very intimate music, I think. Uh, and I think that maybe touched people in a way. Um, and, yeah, so we should we should play a little. Um, as Jason alluded to, I think Low, you know, they did change over the years a lot. Um, they did different things with production and how they kind of constructed their records though. Um, I think one of the, the things I admired about them too, is that I think as much as they did change, I think there was a fundamental thing to low that never changed, you know, mm-hmm. that even like, as you'll hear a, a song later off, Hey, what, which is very kind of digitally kind of, you know, fucked with and, and produced, you know, I think they could have done that song in a totally different way, you know, much like the early albums. But, um, uh, this first song is, uh, was kind of one of the ones that I think put them on the map a little bit. Um, this is from their third album, uh, when the curtain hit the hits the cast. Um, and just to kind of put this in perspective, you know, they, they formed in in ninety three. You know, in the height of kind of the grunge era, the you know kind of post punk era. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of stuff like pop punk and Green Day was kind of coming up at that point. So, um, as you'll hear, this is like extremely minimal, extremely delicate, extremely kind of hushed and kind of intimate music that um, I think was very, you know, striking at the time to people. There certainly was other bands, um, you know, that, that they were probably influenced by, I think galaxy 500 being one um, codeine um, bedhead um, who were kind of more contemporaries of them that were kind of lumped into this thing called slow core, maybe ACE tone. Um, but low just had this kind of almost like hushed kind of, uh, I don't know. It, it just, I mean, let's, let's just play it and you'll hear it. it's just like, it, yeah. it's very minimal, very quiet, but yet very powerful. And I think the harmony singing between Alan and, and Mimi were, um, uh, those two together, I think I, I, I hold them it's up incredible. like the beach boys or the band or, you know, just the sound of their two voices together. Uh, I think one of the great all time harmonizing, you know, duos ever so let's let's hear over the ocean
one of the things, one of the sort of presuppositions I had about the group in my mind, knowing that they were categorized broadly as slowcore, that they came about in the 90s, was sort of bracing myself for a certain, like, harshness or unapproachability to the group. So listening to these songs and hearing just how, like, this is sort of classically good songwriting, you know? Yeah, like just yeah. well-chosen chords, great production, that hollow guitar sound, beautiful melodies, and, like, the vocals to support them. I, um, I think it's, like, their provenance or, like, the way that they're talked about was misleading in a lot of ways. I don't know if you okay. ever found that yeah. in listening to them. Or, like, you listened to them probably since about when they had started, right? And at least you probably got yeah, them in the I 90s. Yeah, I, I, I knew this one. I probably got them most into them about 99, I think, when Secret mm-hmm. Name came out, which, unfortunately, I wasn't able to include one off this. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, but I remember Over the Ocean being kind of like a college radio hit. Yeah. And, was uh, it? You know, it's just a striking song when you hear it, especially in, sure. in the context of everything that was going on. This sort of almost like angelic kind of... Uh, him like uh, yeah. quality that their music had. Um, there was a certain um, him like quality to a few of these songs. Actually, that's in my few notes. I'll bring that yeah. up as well. But I, I guess I was curious. Was there any point at which you um, at which you were surprised by like how people were talking about the group versus how it actually sounded or how it went down for you? Um, you know, I think that I. <sighs> You know, I, I probably heard them first on like Radio K here at the college mm-hmm. station. So I might have like kind of heard them around the same time I heard of them. And, you know, it's like anything at the beginning, they're not a legendary band at the time. You know, right. they're just some band from Duluth that like I heard stuff about. You know what I mean? And, and we're For getting sure. kind of a national buzz. Um, that, that makes sense. I mean, I guess your perspective listening to them when they're five or six years into their career versus me when I'm listening to them yeah. 28 years into the, like literally as old as I am into their career. Um, it's it feels weirdly indelible in a way. Like, oh, of course, this is a fixture. Of course, people talk about this group because it's fucking great music. But yeah, yeah. I mean, There's the way they've been to- spoken about was like, oh, it's not on the tier of other classic Minnesota acts. It's not on the tier of other like great alternative rock. I guess I just never really, uh, never really dug deep enough. Yeah, you know. Um, and I think they sort of existed in their own, you know, they, in, in so many ways they were out of step. I mean, they were, uh, you know, I, I told this to a friend and I was like, you know, they always seemed, even though like maybe early on, you know, they, they weren't that much older than the kids in the audience, but it's like, they seemed like a band of adults. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think they were married, you know what I mean? And they were, um, and you know, we talked about the him. I mean, they, they, one of the, you know, interesting things about low, which they never really talked about that much, but they were Mormon, um, hmm. are Mormon. Uh, and so, yeah, there, there's sort of a religious aspect. I think that runs through their music. Um, there's certainly, uh, I, I think, you know, you hear in some of the songs sort of, a a couple, uh, and mm-hmm. their relationship reflected. I, I know that, uh, <laughs> I would say for sure. Alan, I don't, I know, uh, Oh, maybe wasn't the most devout Mormon in certain respects at times in his life, if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, you can kind of hear some of that in the songs we'll play, but um, yeah, they just, you know, they, they seemed so different and there was no wasted movement, right. You know, like grunge was yeah. so much kind of wildness and, and, you know, mosh pits and shit. And they were like, you know, her drumming I think is, is beautiful. You know, she's a great drummer actually just using like a floor Tom, you know, yeah. snare and like a, a, a ride symbol mostly. Um, 
so yeah, let's hear another one of the early, and you know, you, you'll kind of hear it as they sort of advance, they become a little less minimal. Um, this next one is called Shame off of uh, Long Division, another one of their um, early albums. And uh, this is another, they're, you know, when you listen to this, I, I just, I'm always struck by how, uh, how well they arranged very simple elements. Mm-hmm. you know, so perfectly to, to make this like huge kind of sound thing off almost, you know, like there's no wasted motion in low, yeah. you know? Um, so here, this one's called shame and uh, there's a, a great bass part. Zach Sally plays on this that I really love. Um, feels kind of weird to talk over this music in a way um but yeah again her voice i mean it just it's just it's unbelievable it's arresting it's yeah i know we've talked a lot about a lot of great vocalists on this show um lydia lovelace and lucy dacus etc etc this one like i don't know there's something very captivating about her voice something yeah very rich and and rounded but I don't like. Have you ever sung in a choir, Matt? Uh, yeah, I just, yeah, like in elementary school. I was yeah. in like a church choir when I was in elementary school. Yeah, not, I mean, not good though. <laughs> well, I, I didn't ask were you good in choir. No, uh, no like I, I grew up singing in choirs a bunch, community choirs, and um, uh, I was I was in a the local public high school choir, and then in college, and it is very easy for great voices to just become like. I, I don't know, operatic and weird and sort of cheesy and bad. And it, mm-hmm. her her voice feels like one of those that could be like, if utilized differently, just very tra- like stereotypically traditionally boring, yeah. I guess. But she had just, I, again, I'm, I'm saying this as somebody who's listened to 10, 11, 12 songs of, from the group entirely, but she seems to have had just an incredible control over it at all volumes and all dynamics. You know, there are songs yeah. where she kind of belts, there are songs where she's just above a whisper like this one and it's so strong and so like 
she's just aware of exactly what she needs in that moment. Yeah, yeah. I, and I'd say choir singing, you know, is probably an influence, I would imagine. For sure. You know, it's very Midwestern and it's very, like, kind of, like, plain song. You know, like, mm-hmm. not a lot of, like, you know, undulation or, you know, vibrato or anything like that. It's just very, yeah. like, straight lines. Um, actually, you know, speaking of choir, that, um, well, we can't play all these songs in their entirety. It feels bad to cut them off, but, mm-hmm. um, this next song actually ties into a show I saw. Um, they, they, they did a, uh, a, a, uh, um, EP called Christmas. Um, this was probably like the, the, um, only, sort of flir- flirtation with the mainstream that they really had a little bit, maybe on, on the mm-hmm. great destroyer, which we'll hear later. Um, but, uh, their version of little drummer boy off this EP was featured in a gap ad hmm. back then. And, uh, this is 99. <laughs> um, and, uh, this, uh, this, you know, it, it occurred to me a couple of things that, you know, we just, if, if you're not in, in, in Minneapolis right now, good for you. Um, Mm-hmm. But we just got hit with our first kind of winter weather and, mm-hmm. you know, been listening to this live. It's kind of like, they really kind of are the ultimate winter band <laughs> as well. Like, I can't think of another band that sounds like winter in Minnesota more. And, you know, being from the North Shore, being from Duluth, I mm-hmm. I, I, I think you need to stress they're a Duluth band, yes. not a Minneapolis band. Like, they are a Duluth band. Like <laughs> you've, you've been up to Duluth, right? Jason? I just went there for the first time, uh, last month and well, yeah, yeah. It, it lines up. It makes a lot of sense. It's, it's striking. I mean, Duluth is just a striking, like, you know, that big cold gray lake Yeah, kind of dominates the whole city, you know, and it mm-hmm. feels kind of in winter, especially like you go up there in like January, it's like, it feels like the end of the world. So, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> the edge of the world. Um, but yeah, this, this is a Christmas, um, EP and I actually got to see them. They used to do some Christmas shows at the main room in, at first Avenue and it was pretty awesome. They had like a, uh, they'd brought a bunch of like actual Christmas trees on stage hmm. and I think they had a pedal steel player sitting in with them too. But at the end they brought out a, uh, for the last few songs, they brought out a, uh, a Lutheran church choir from Duluth and they, hmm. um, I remember they, they did a, a Merry Christmas War is Over by John Lennon. Wow. Uh, with like the full choir, like it is on the record. And it was like really <laughs> is an, an amazing show. Um, this, this song is, a, I think, or kind of a, you know, more jaunty song by low, mm-hmm. uh, many sings it very well. And it's, but it's got that same thing. It's, you know, it's a Christmas song, but also there's some sort of like ambivalence to the whole thing in the lyrics. I think, um, mm-hmm. I imagine they're on tour in Scandinavia is what I've always taken this to be sort of a, a story song. I think Lo does a good job of like, I like story songs where you can't really quite figure out what the story is. Like there feels like there's details out, outside of the frame. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is just like Christmas, which I think is a, we can probably play this whole thing. It's super short, but mm-hmm. um, this, the, the, the Christmas EP I think is, is sort of, you know, pretty core to like the, the low mythology. Mm-hmm. And not to mention just an indie rock. It was such like an unfashionable thing to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, but they did it with a plum, I think. Yeah. In this, you in know, this track particularly. It's like something like Tony Bennett would do or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Bass is like 
mm-hmm. just foreign to the rest of this record, you know, or not record, mm-hmm. but to the rest of yeah. this collection of songs. Yeah, it's kind of a classic country bass. Yeah. But it just does show like a certain versatility. Like, I, I don't want to say her voice fits anywhere, but it's like she makes the song fit around her voice in a way, in, in this yeah. weird way that I don't think I've ever heard before. Like, usually it compliments the whole thing. In this way, it's like she's wrapping the song around her voice to make it it sound right, I guess. Yeah, no, it's it's she's an amazing talent. Just, you know, I don't know. I don't imagine, and maybe this is presumptive of me, I don't imagine that there is a low without Mimi Parker, right? Like, I mean, uh, it's Alan and, and, and you know, <laughs> it's, a, you know, there's been, I mean, Zach Sally, I don't want to minimize his right. impact. You know, he was with the band to 05, and, you know, he's, to me, the Lowe's bass player. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think they'd sort of officially become a duo most recently. They had a, a woman named... Uh, I'm forgetting right now that it just sort of started playing live, but she plays in like Charlie Parr's band and some other people. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, uh, uh, their marriage, their voices together. I mean, it, it's just, it's always been Alan and Mimi, you know? Uh, yeah. I, I can't, I mean, who knows, but. Um, yeah, it's weird, man. I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's very weird to think I won't see him again, you know? Yeah. Very weird. Uh, and I'm just, you know, I'm glad I saw that saw him the times I did, and I, I wish I would have seen him more times that I probably, you know, chances I had numerous times I probably didn't go to see him, you know? Yeah, but, uh, yeah. anyway, uh, yeah, the next song, um, I think if I had pushed Keem to shove, um, that I think things we lost in the fire, uh, they have a lot of good albums, but if I had to pick like my favorite, this is probably it. Um, mm-hmm. This is, you know, kind of, I feel like this is sort of a, this always feels like the center of their catalog to me. You know, mm-hmm. it feels like they've sort of expanded on the the early style a bit. And then from here, they're going to try different kind of experiment a little bit more in different kind of settings. Um, this is uh, recorded at Electrical Audio in Chicago with uh, Steve Albini. Um, this first song is in metal. Um, you know, this one again, it's, uh, uh, it's hard to write songs. I think about parenthood, you know what I mean? And, and what mm. that means without being either maudlin or, you know, kind of corny or whatever. And, and there's sort of a, a stoicism to, to low, uh, even as they, they talk about very emotional things. And, and there's also sort of, you know, like a, a I don't say creepiness, but you know, a, well, you'll hear the song, you know, it's, it's yeah. called in metal. And it's basically just, you know, the the fears you have as a parent, you know, of, of trying to protect your child in the world. Um, 
and again, you know, these are things like these are, you know, like I said, they always felt like these are adult things, you know, these are real things that they yeah. talked about and sang about. Um, and this one I think is just, you know, uh, is it just, I don't think songwriting gets any better than the song to me. And just like the metaphor for like the baby shoes that they, people used to do, you know, like bronze baby shoes and stuff. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. did some great like harmonizing with herself too via overdub it was yeah. always really amazing it really is beautiful it's weirdly sing sing-alongable too maybe i'm just an annoying person but like the harmonies always just hit perfectly in such a satisfying way in some weird ways in some of these tracks but especially here where it's her on her it's man Before, um, before we recorded this, I asked some members of the Crossfade community on Patreon to uh, share their favorite memories or just their thoughts about Lowe and Mimi Parker. Um, Alfredo said that uh, her vocals in, in metal always get me as she captures the intensity of love and the devotion that a parent has for their newborn child. And I don't even have kids, he says. She will be missed and I'll never forget how much her music has impacted me. I'm very shocked and sad yeah that's, that's see the news of her passing yeah i'm glad people shared some some thoughts that's great hey there's a little bit of a decent bit of low love in the crossfade community yeah and then here's kind of the outro um yeah actually the next song is also from things we lost in the fire um I think this is another one of her kind of great. I, my impression was that, you know, she kind of wrote the songs that she sang lead mm-hmm. on, which were less. I mean, Alan probably sang lead on the most stuff, but that, that her songs, she, she generally wrote the lyrics if she sang it as lead. Okay. Um, yeah, and this next one is another kind of, is a pretty powerful song. It's called Laser Beam. Um, and I, I never knew what this is about um, hmm. until she had an interview a few years ago where she talked about uh, apparently, uh, her father um, had, uh, you know, a pretty bad drinking problem when, mm. when she grew up. And it wasn't un- uncommon for her and her mother to have to go, you know, basically down to the bar 
to pick up her dad, you know, probably been, you know, kicked out or whatever for being just wasted or whatever. Right. And at this one junction, this one incident, uh, he kind of got into it in a shoving match with a, a police officer and, um, got maced, you know, and this, she's a very young girl at this point. And it was sort of this song is sort of her kind of, you know, refracted memory of that, that incident. Um, and it's again, a, you know, an, another example of her kind of channeling pretty deep things into, a a, a kind of a timeless sounding song. It's all, you know, saddening, obviously, to actually listen back to knowing, knowing that she's passed. But songs like this, where it's just her and guitar and the reverb, like literally haunting. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, almost uncomfortable. I think again they, they sort of I mean it's certainly you can, now that you know the story you know what I mean mm-hmm. I think you can hear it but if you don't you know it sort of can it feels sort of a universal thing and you know yeah, um, yeah I mean I, just intimate is the one thing that you know I, I think when especially listening in headphones it just feels like you know you're there with a, a, a human in the room you know like maybe early Leonard Cohen would be the only other thing I could think of that feels as like kind of intimate in like somebody whispering in your ear almost. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, they were, yeah. I, uh, just really powerful, you know, and now let's see where we're going. So, you know, I, again, I want to say I, I struggled to, you know, Secret Name is really I, I one of my favorite albums by them, and I couldn't find a place because I wanted to kind of feature her, um, and I wanted to cover like, as you know, they had a lot of differences in their career. I think Trust. This is from two thousand two. This is kind of where they start to maybe break out of the <laughs> formula. Theme feels like a pejorative. Mm. Um, 
they start to maybe stretch a little bit outside the musical mode that they operated in. Mm-hmm. I think up through um, things we lost in the fire um, and th- this uh, um, trust, I think kind of starts that process for them. And, and you'll hear as we go on, I think, you know, that they really um, actually went, you know, pretty far afield from what they'd been doing. Um, this one is uh, called, that's how you sing amazing grace. Um, and you can kind of hear a little bit more, fuller of a, like a band sound, I think. Hmm. Um, I don't want to say conventional cause I don't think it is, but, um, a little bigger sounding maybe in, in certain ways. For sure. All right, here it is. Yeah, and this one, I don't know, there's almost, like the verses are a little more, I don't say menacing, but there's a little more darkness, I think, that starts creeping in, and you'll hear mm-hmm. that in the next song as well. Yeah, for sure. But this I, is also, it's great, it's beautiful. It really, I like, I'm not going to talk over it. Yeah, and, and Jason, you're better with, you know, theory than I am. But I don't know. There's there's certain oh yeah like intervals between Alan and, and Mimi that are um, I don't know. It's very distinctive. I don't know. I don't know enough to say yeah. what those like intervals are. But like, I'm glad you brought it up because just before recording, like I pulled out my guitar and and checked to make sure this is literally they're singing in uh, parallel fifths, which is a thing that was like 
for many reasons, culturally and uh, and musically. Like they were, they've fallen in and out of style in music in songwriting, but like originally they were part of like canticle, like hymns and church music, and then eventually, literally just due to the vibes sounding evil. The church started saying, "Don't use them in your oh in your, really like, in your holy music." So you're just talking like a, a straight like one five like the the classic like two note yeah. power chord yeah, kind of yeah like and using that in parallel you know like when the bottom mm-hmm. voice moves the the uh, upper voice moves at the same in the same intervals like just literally moving in parallel across the staves that was that's it's considered a no no like a music theory no no because it was so like mandated by the church and that is what makes this song sound so menacing in those verses. Is because it's interesting. It's like oh, that's awesome. I'm glad you looked that up. It's right. Figure that out. Uh. It's it's. I mean, you're you're not wrong. It sounds off because it's like because not a whole lot of music uses that. Because again, Western music historically just hasn't. But they've chosen it for this very menacing. This very like. I guess there are interpretations of this song that have to do with uh, you know drug abuse and uh, and 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 death by suicide and it's like pretty dark subject matter potentially. And they've chosen this thing that makes this song sound so foreboding so ominous you know and just by like the melody itself doesn't move in any creepy ways it's just because both of them are singing where they're singing yeah you're not wrong oh, wow, i'm glad okay. you brought it up no that's that's really i'm glad you figured that out that sweet, sweet oh, wow all right well this one's kind of long i don't think we probably should keep moving is, a little bit it is, um, it is worth listening to all the way through just the experience you know but but like you said limited time um, so the next one, this is um, Monkey. Uh, this is probably one of their better known songs. Like I said, Robert Plant covered this song. The Great Destroyer was the album. Uh, and this probably, if I had to guess what, outside of the Christmas EP, this probably sold the most, if I had to make a guess. I feel like they touched a little bit, not in the mainstream, but kind of like the indie rock mainstream mm. um, with this one. Uh and as you'll hear, you know, they brought in a lot more production on this album, you know, like the drumming's more aggressive, like there's synths, there's, you know, they, they used some synths before, but, um, you know, it's just a, a much fuller version of, I think, you know, low um, production wise. Um, but I think it still has a lot of their classic, you know, elements of their music. Again, I think the, you know, there's some really great, especially in the chorus, what she does over Alan's vocal. Um, like harmonically, whatever going is going on there is really amazing as well. And and this this is, I think, probably one of their better known songs on the whole, for sure.
this song is I always want to just you know when you do simple things it's easy to get overlooked I think as a musician mm-hmm. and um she's an amazing drummer and I, you know I, I think people kind of you know drumming tends to focus on the you know like the coming down from like John Bonham Keith Moon you know like jazz drummers whatever you're doing like super busy stuff right a lot of fills um but like man her sense of timing that that right hand or uh I think he's a left hand on the tom. Her like floor tom hand is so good, um, mm. and just like her just sense for like little off, off hits and stuff. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's just very driving for somebody that you know had such a minimal kit. Generally played standing up. Um, yeah, I, I just think that um, you know it was what the music called for, and I think maybe that's. I think Lowe always did what the music called for and no more, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, which is hard to do and you have to sort of have a, um, I think, you know, it's a musical maturity that comes with that, you know what I mean, that being able to understand yeah. that concept. I'm glad you bring it up because throughout these songs, like this one has that, well, I'm talking over it, but this explosion of a, of a climax of what could almost be called a solo, it's sort of noise, guitar noise over it. Like, I don't know the the. You said that it like they they did what the music called for, and I think that her voice complemented that so well. Like, I think today, rock is like, at least what gets popular is sort of like music of moments, you know, rather than um, songs or or whole pieces, whole works that can, you know, be a, like a a, a bro- more broad gentle slender landscape you know to it's got to be like this is the climax this is the you know the, the moment where it gets where it really pops off type thing mm-hmm. and in this music rarely does that happen not never but rarely does that happen and focuses more on like you said the driving beat that sort of gives this song its character that gives it that like pulse um is persistent like we listened to this to three minutes of this song before anything really exploded you know I think this band is a is a group that rewards patience a bit, but doesn't require it to enjoy it. Um, it's more of that, like I said, that landscape of the song that doesn't need constant crescendo. Yeah. It doesn't need to peak and valley and climax and stuff to be interesting, to be engaging, to be enrapturing. Yeah. No, yeah, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, the next song is actually kind of a contrast in, in this album, The Invisible Way. They did this with Jeff Tweedy of um, Wilco right. at his studio. Um, I chose this one, Holy Ghost, um, just because I feel like this is probably the closest you, you'll hear her in their catalog to just almost doing like, you know, a, a classic like folk setting. You know what I mean? Hmm. It's, it's very organic sounding. It's very, you know pretty trad kind of, you know, folk rock setting. Um, I think it places the emphasis on her voice again and her songwriting, um, you know, and there's, you know, I think, you know, there's the religious element of, of low that was always, it's, you know, been, it, it's always kind of hovering around the frame. I think, you know what I mean? Um, they certainly didn't talk about that very often. Um, mm. But, you know, this is, I think just a beautiful song and kind of, it's probably the most, 
like the closest that you'd get to that almost kind of sixties, like folk kind of setting for her voice. So I, I wanted to like kind of show that as well. Okay. Here's Holy Ghost. Some Holy Ghost keeps me hanging on, hanging on. Some This is very classic pop, you know, songwriting. Right. Um, yeah. Interestingly, this was actually covered um, by Mavis Staples, so the Staples singers. So, you know, one of the true kind of giants of, you know, gospel. Really? Yeah. Which is, you know, I think a tribute to the strength of her, her songwriting. This has sort of an ambivalent ending, which is interesting to me. But I can tell when wrong. Like, I don't know much, but I can tell when something's wrong. This next one is off of Come On. Um, now we're getting to the later career. And like again, I'm skipping over some kind of transitional albums that are kind of important. Um, Drums and Guns uh, in particular. Um, but this is, a, I think, this is a great song. And this, I mean, I think here, you know, I, I think that sometimes, you know, they were a couple in a band and married and together for a long time. And I think you can kind of hear a push-pull of a relationship sometimes mm-hmm. in their music. I think this song called Especially Me um, in particular, I mean, it's hard not to, I think, you know, and I, I know that Alan has been somewhat forthcoming about some struggles over the years with depression and other things. Um, you know, sometimes you feel like, I don't know, it's 
like you're almost eavesdropping on a conversation between people. Um, I think sometimes, and this, this is one of those that kind of sticks out to me in that way. is so dang good i know we haven't really talked about how catchy some of this music can be because it's not like the point or the bread and butter but my goodness they're just their songwriting like that uh especially me and probably you that hook has been in my head since i first heard this song yeah no i mean they're that's it yeah i mean they don't they don't you don't think of them as a writing pop hooks but like over the oceans very yeah there's so many there's a song i didn't include called dinosaur act off things we lost in the fire that's super catchy yeah they yeah, just that, that combined with like that six eight pump 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 rhythm, it's just driving throughout, and like you said, her her tom hand just keeping it alive. Like this is one of the few songs that we that you picked that like is a slow build rather than like a, a consistent like um, you know roll until until some peak, you know, and it sort of makes up for the lack of a complete explosive climax with these refrains that just sort of happen like the even the even the main hook and probably yeah. you sort of ends on a down beat ends on like a mm-hmm. doesn't end on the one it doesn't end up cleanly you know and it's just these little ways that it keeps tugging you along it's really like compelling music it makes me want to like every every second every measure makes me want to listen to the next one in this weird surprising way and her overdubs of her own backing uh, vocals yes. is really so oh, this really, one's really yeah. beautiful 
Yeah, this this album in particular, I, I don't know what it was when it came out, but I didn't check it out a whole lot. And then this one is kind of... I really messed up on this one. I, this Come On is a really great record that I probably didn't give enough time to. Yeah, the string arrangements here. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I can't really stress how consistent the catalog, and I've been going through it a lot in the past few days and week. Um, just pretty flawless, in my opinion. I don't think they have any album that's less than really good to, to yeah, great yeah. to absolute classic, in my opinion. That's like the range for me. That makes me um, really excited in a weird way to, to dig yeah, further in, you yeah. know? Um, so this next one kind of is going to stand in for the later period the last few years of their career um, where they kind of went in some really, uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, they, they started working with uh, actually, you know, and you can probably hear some um, we did on this show. Uh, bon Iver, uh was that something? A million? Uh, yeah. Two, um, 22, a million, two 22 million. a million. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so they're, they, um, they started working with his um, kind of producer engineer, BJ Burton. Mm. Um, and I think you can probably hear some of that kind of like really, you know, for a band that had gone for largely very naturalistic recordings, um, with some exceptions, mm-hmm. uh, they really kind of leaned into like kind of, you know, effects pedals and like digital recording techniques and kind of really fucking with their sound and kind of and almost mangling it in weird ways. Um, hmm. uh, I, again, this is going to seem a little bit like a left turn. In practice, there were some albums like Drums and Guns, Ones and Sixes that are kind of transitional albums. The album before this, Double Negative, is very much in the same spirit as Hey What, which proved to be their final album. It was released last year. Um, and really, you know, it made all kinds of year-end lists. Uh, and, you know, Pitchfork, NPR, Guardian, you know, it really, really one of the most, I think one of the great albums of their career. Once again, um, you know... Again, it's it's very weird to talk about them in the in the past tense. Yeah, but it's got. I be. guess it is. Um, I was I was um, lucky enough to attend the uh, album release show. It was done at a, a friend of my Paul does a, a festival called Square Lake at his dad's farm, kind of out by Stillwater, northeast mm-hmm. of the Twin Cities, and um, it's a farm. It's a family farm and uh, they built a stage there and like it's sitting by like an old fashioned windmill and everything. And so like to hear this like done outside, you know, in the, in the kind of, you know, early, early fall, um, it was pretty, pretty amazing show. You know, you could hear like geese flying over wind through the trees and, um, you know, this uh, you'll hear it, you know, and it, it's kind of bracing in certain senses compared to what we've heard. But at the same time, you know, like, like I said, I think I, there's always the core of like her voice, Alan's mm-hmm. voice, 
and and the way they write songs like i don't doubt they could have done this the way they did the first album or the second album if they wanted to you know Mm -hmm. um and it's another but i I think to their their credit like you know the great bands i think can experiment and go different directions but they sort of have this like fundamental musical core and i think i think low definitely has that um so this one's called more um and and you'll you'll hear it It's, it's definitely they were they were still um you know, still growing, even as been a band almost 30 years, you know, it's like, it's pretty impressive that they, I think they released one of their most daring and, and best studio albums in, in like just last year. Hmm. All right. Here is more. music has been beautiful and wonderful and captivating this song just kind of fucking rocks <laughs> yeah. like it it doesn't have booming drum but like i'm hearing in my head like death from above 1979 just crashing bashing yeah booming yeah. basing drums and and they're not it's like everything else is coming together into this yeah like in the way they're sound. kind of mangling it digitally it almost sounds decayed oh, it's parts, so you know, like tape decay or something yeah, that sort of screaming bassiness that happens, you know, midway into the song. It's so fucking good, man. And here's great, her vocalizing with herself, like mm-hmm. via overdub again. It almost feels like it's kind of fighting through static or something, you know, yeah. the, the song. Um it was very daring. I mean, it's very daring production style. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it feels gimmicky either, you know? The only thing that gets me is the end of the song, where her voice just, like, fades. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. Yep. Um... Yeah, Jason, I don't know if you want to, um, you know, share a few more, if there's any more thoughts or anything yeah, that the community me, had or questions. Let me pull these up. Like I said, I put out a post on Patreon and um, just sort of combed the Crossfade Discord as well. But uh, Hunter Sachs says that he had the opportunity to see them live when Double Negative was released and saying uh, that watching Mimi play and seeing lies in person was absolutely one of the most haunting and beautiful performances I've seen. Uh, Chris White Whitfield, I'm sorry, Whitfeld, um, also uh, got into low through double negative, which was quote unquote, a musical epiphany for Chris. Um, since then been working, uh, his way backwards through their releases and consistently blown away by the strength of the songwriting in lieu of the recent experimental production, saddened by the news of me, he's passing board and the inspiring body of work that she left us with. You know, that's, that's the yeah. tenor is that people just, I mean, maybe like me probably on the bandwagon a little earlier than me, but just did not realize how important the band really was to the music that we were already listening to um yeah 
But I mean, that's to me, like that's the tribute to them. Like, I mean, there's totally, I think a new sort of a new generation of fans that really liked this, these last few albums. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's people there from like before me in the beginning that, you know, like when the curtain hits the cast and long division is low, you know, there's the middle period, like it, 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 you know, this is a testament to their sort of, you know, ability to change without compromising like the core of what made it so powerful. Right. And yeah, and ultimately yeah. like her voice, Alan's voice, the, the way they, they, they sang together, the way they played together, um, you know, kind of holds like the thread through all the different changes and the different albums and different directions they took. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, definitely. man, you know, like to me, the- like, you know, <laughs> I, you know, and I'm glad we talked about it a little bit last week because it's not just informed by her, you know, passing. Um, mm-hmm. But I, they're one of those bands like they were just the real fucking deal to me, man. Like I, I, I hold them up with like, you know, I don't care the Beatles, whatever you want to say, mm-hmm. Led Zeppelin. I don't. I'm just you know Bob Dylan. What I'm just like naming off greats. Like I, I consider their body of work on that level. Um, they were a great, great live band, an amazing live band. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's another whole aspect of this band that, you know, we can't really touch on or communicate via the podcast format, but they were fantastic live band. That's what, um, uh, what, one of our supporters, um, super mediocre man mentions, uh, that he got to, or they got to see them, um, just this year and had no idea that it would obviously be one of Mimi's final shows. Uh, they signed their copy of, Hey, what, Uh, you know, over the handful of years that he knew them, um, passing hit real hard. Uh, but, actually super mediocre man wanted to know from you, Matt, as somebody who's, uh, you know, a music lover on the Minnesota scene and of Minnesota bands, how early did you discover low? And, uh, you know, what were their earlier shows? Like, I guess you mentioned a, a, an album release show, but did you see them many times before that? Yeah, it's, man, I'm trying to think of the first time I saw them. Uh, so they had a kind of a weird thing <laughs> early on. You would kind of hear these stories about how like my friend Chris went and, like people would, you know, it'd be the, the seventh street entry, which is a small room off the side of first Avenue. And like, there'd be, it'd be sold out, like packed. Mm. And I mean, you've been there, Jason, right? Oh, yeah. Like you, you've seen shows and like, sometimes people are moshing down in front mm-hmm. and, it, you know, it's kind of a, it's a cool little wild little room, right? It's mm-hmm. this black box and, you know, it would be like, no one was standing, like everyone was like sitting cross-legged on the floor and just kind of, kind of this almost like church like atmosphere where you like, you always hear like, people shush you if you go to like a low mm-hmm. show and like, you know, talk or anything like, you know, it's not like this rock show kind of thing. I never saw that personally. I probably saw them about 99, maybe mm-hmm. before that, um, where they were a little bigger at that point. Um, but you know, a friend of mine, John, and another thing I want to talk about is just how generous I think they were with their time hmm. in Minnesota. Um, I, I think, you know, you, you know, Mimi, and by the way, it, I learned this week, it is Mimi, not me. It's Mimi. Oh, I've been and, mispronouncing and, it this whole time. Well, <laughs> in the fact that they're the most Minnesota band of all time, people around her called her Mim, I guess. Um, mm. but she decided that, she, you know, like it wasn't a big deal. So she never corrected people hmm. about Mimi. <laughs> like, so yeah. she kind of just was like, whatever, <laughs> uh, which just seems very like Minnesotan oh. to me in a, in a way. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, um, you know, like my, my friends, uh, Adam and Andy had a, a band called the early Americans and they were probably like 14 or 15. And like Alan, like agreed to like record their record. You know, they were just these weird kids from like a town outside of Duluth. And, you know, they were always around, like they played, you know, benefits. They, 
you know, they, I don't know if you're familiar with Galen Lee, they were very instrumental in helping her get known. Um, hmm. You know, so just, I think they really were a part of the community, not, not, uh, they were legendary, right? And they were known all over the world and, you know, they could go play shows in England or France or anywhere, but, you know, they, they felt like they were part of a part of the scene, not above it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and, and I think, you know, Alan has done a lot of different projects. I think she was more private, but he's had black eyed snakes, kind of a crazed kind of like blues punk band. He has a hmm. tired eyes, a Neil Young cover band. That's really great. Um, he has a new band called, uh, Derecho with his son. Cyrus, um, that had been playing, I, I, who knows? I don't know where, I mean, I can't imagine where their whole family's at. And, you know, my heart goes out to their, their family and all their, their friends and loved ones. Um, but, uh, they were really, you know, part of the fabric of Minnesota music in a, in a way, and in a way, like, not like, I mean, certainly Dylan's important and Prince is important, but those, you know, Prince kind of had his kingdom out at Paisley Park, right? And like you came to the end of like his little magic kingdom, right? Yeah. You know, like Lowe was among people and around and, you know, supporting like way smaller bands and, and, and people in Duluth and they still consistently did shows up in Duluth. Um, so, you know, to me, uh, they were, uh, they're just a real role model for how to conduct a, a career mm. in music, you know? Um, yeah. And I'll miss them a lot. Uh, uh, I'll miss seeing them. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they meant an awful lot to me and I think they meant a lot, a lot uh, to a lot of people. Um, so yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I can't wait to, uh, I guess, listen through them and tell you how I'm feeling about them then. Yeah. And so I thought, you know, it felt a little bit weird to do like a listener pick and have some like, you know, goofy song or something. So, um, this is actually a song of their first album. Um, I, I could live in hope. Um, this is lullaby. Uh, it's an early, uh, mini vocal. Uh, and it kind of, you know, turns into sort of extended kind of not jam, but you know, extended instrumental passages, you know, in an early classic of theirs, I think. And, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. It just seems appropriate to kind of let them play us out. Um, yeah. You know, we thank you for listening and, uh, and you know, Godspeed, Mimi Parker. Um, our thoughts go out to their family, the whole low, you know, organization and everything. And uh, yeah, everyone take care. See you in a couple of weeks.
Thank you.